Greetings on this good day that the Lord has made. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is the Bread of Life. Our program is presented by the International Disciple-Making Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism. I encourage you to learn more about the amazing work we're doing all around the world. You can do so by going to traincpe.org, or you can follow all the links from our broadcast webpage, breadoflifeboise.org. There you'll also learn about our Missions Church Fellowship in Boise, Idaho, and it's from that fellowship that we share with you God's Word. In a previous broadcast, we considered the church as it waits for the return of Jesus Christ. Today, we begin to consider the waiting Christian. We're going to get more personal as we consider the return of our Lord Jesus. But before we start, we want to provide a review of what things will happen in history at the time when Christ comes again for those who are his own. Last week, we spoke on the doctrine of the second coming of Jesus Christ, and we spoke about its practical influence on the life of the church. And this week, we want to talk about the practical influence of the knowledge of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ on the lives of Christians. What we noticed last week was that understanding that Christ would return shaped the way that the church conducted its life together. They actually began to gather together in anticipation of the great gathering that will take place when Christ calls us to himself. And so, in a sense, every time they met, they were rehearsing that moment and that time when universally Christ's church would rise up to meet him in the air when he returns. They also, in anticipation of his coming, became eager and bold to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to as many as they could and those around them. They were a waiting church and they were a gathering church. They were a waiting church and they were a gospel proclaiming church. In these two labors and anticipating the return of Jesus Christ, they began to soberly judge the circumstances of the age that they lived in and soberly judge the necessity of the gospel reaching to those around them. And so they became a waiting and a praying church. And then in anticipation of that moment and that time when they would meet the Lord Jesus in the air and they'd be issued into his presence in the highest heaven and they would worship him there, they began to worship him in like manner. Their worship was, in a sense, that eschatological praise that they made reflecting the praise that they would one day make before the throne of God. We spoke about the passages in Revelation chapter 3 and chapter 5. I shared with you that... I believe the praise that is indicated in those two wonderful chapters is the praise of the raptured church in the presence of God and the church at the time in which they were waiting and waiting for the Lord's return. That early church understand and understood and knew something of that great and glorious day that was coming. And so in their waiting, they praised as well. They waited and they gathered. They waited and they witnessed. They waited and they prayed. They waited and they worshipped, waiting for the second coming of Christ, impacted the very way that the church did church. Now this week we're going to look at how this coming of the Lord Jesus Christ affects us more personally. The waiting for Christ to come again should impact not only our corporate expressions, but it should, it, it will impact the way that we as individual followers of Jesus live our lives. We're to be waiting people. Individuals who are waiting and looking for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and you need to be assured of this. You certainly need to be assured of this. If you don't know it, then there's some more work to do in your life. Christ is coming for you. He's coming to receive you unto himself. When you know that, 
It changes the way you live your life. In fact, every biblical point of instruction regarding the second coming of Jesus Christ teaches that you cannot be passive before that reality. If you know it's true, if you truly believe that the Lord Jesus is coming for you, you can't live your lives kind of passively floating along with the age in which you live in. Your life becomes an intensification of an individual who is on a trajectory to meet the Lord Jesus and be received by him. And your waiting becomes expressed in the very way in which you not live. Not simply how the church conducts itself, but how you live yourself. Now, there's a lot of territory that I kind of want to cover this morning, and so I'm not going to be looking at Bible verses. I'm just going to be looking at some ideas or concepts surrounding the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's disagreement among Christians on the nature of Christ's return, on its timing and on the sequencing of events that take place and even on some events that will take place. I have some particular firm views on what I believe is going to take place when Christ comes and about future matters. And those views involve my confidence that God's promises to us in his word will be explicitly fulfilled and we can trust them to be fulfilled literally as God spoke them. In other words, this means he's going to keep his promises that he made to us and that he made to the Jews in the Old Testament. And these promises are not going to be vacated, nor are they going to be turned to some kind of spiritual application that would not be recognized and be wholly unforeseen by those who had received those initial promises. That means as well for you, when you open your Bible and you read it, and you understand what it says there, and there seems to be a very clear implication of it. Now, there's some things that are not entirely clear, but there are certain things that register to you. And those clear things, you don't have to think that there's some secret, hidden, mystical interpretation of it that you don't know about, and that's going to be springing upon you, that takes you in a totally different direction than what the Word says. One of the things we believe about God's Word is, the idea that it's perspicuous, that is, that it's clear, and it can be clearly understood. I believe that the promise that God has made in his word can be clearly understood. And many of the views that I have about the last days and what will happen when Christ returns took shape to a large extent in the church at a time in which the word of God was coming into the hands of just the average brother and sister. And they had access to the Bible, and it began to be printed, and it began to be read. And as more and more of the people of God began to read it, they weren't interpreting it according to all the various traditions that had kind of cloistered away some of the Bible by certain Bible experts. They just read it plainly and saw what it's saying, and they grabbed hold of those truths, and they believed them. And in the same way, in a simplistic way, I guess I'm saying it, I believe that what God has said and what you understand God has said as you read your Bibles is what God is going to do. Among these various promises are the promises that the Messiah is going to come again to this earth, that he's going to reign over all the nations, that he's going to bring all the nations under judgment, that he's going to establish a kingdom on earth centralized in Jerusalem, and that the Jewish people are going to gain every inch of land that had been promised to them by God, that King David's throne will be reestablished through the Messiah, the son of David. But there are other promises that God has given just for us as believers and as the church. He's promised to come again for us, that where he is there we may be also. He's promised to come and he's going to call us forth. And we who are here on the earth are going to rise. And those who have gone before us and are in the graves are going to be rise first. And we're going to meet them and we're going to meet Christ in the air. And we're going to gather together with him in the heavens. And there we're going to go to be with him. He's also 
promised at that time that he's going to bring to us, the Christian, the believer, a purifying judgment that's going to burn away from us everything that's been false and untrue and leave behind only those things through which God is going to pour out praise upon us, glorious things that he has fashioned and shaped in us. He's promised at that time that he's going to give us glorified bodies that are free from every taint of sin and are everlastingly sealed away from ever sinning again. And, and there'll be bodies that are perfectly and completely conformed to do only one thing, which is to worship and serve and honor and enjoy him. These are things that God has promised for us. He's also promised that we're going to return with him from that point at which we meet him in the air and that place where he takes us into his presence that we're going to return with him when he comes to reign and rule upon the earth and that we're going to be co-rulers with him here upon this earth. And God has promised a series of judgments that he is going to unleash upon this earth. There's going to be a judgment that takes place basically over a seven-year tribulation period, a judgment that's going to come upon this earth. There's going to be a judgment of the wicked and the rebellious of the earth at the end of that tribulation period. There's going to be a final judgment that takes place at the end of an 1,000-year reign of earthly reign of Christ upon the earth. And there is then going to be a great white throne judgment in which all the unbelieving dead will be resurrected and with Satan they will be cast forever into the lake of fire. The Bible has also promised after that that there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth and that they're going to be joined together and in that place we are forever going to be with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, time unending. Now, not every Christian believes all of those things are promised in God's Word and those who do are not in agreement with the exact timing and the sequence in which those things are going to be realized or transpire. But all people agree on basically this. All those who believe in God's word and believe in are followers of Jesus Christ do believe this. Christ is coming again. And they believe his true followers will be glorified at that time of his appearing. And his true followers at that time are going to receive a reward for the service that they've done to him. And they will forever be with the Lord Jesus. They also believe at that time that untrue followers and unbelievers will be met with a judgment to determine the extent of their punishment, and then they will go into that punishment forever and ever. These are things that all agree. Christ is coming to finalize our salvation, to save us and to glorify us forever with himself. Christ is coming to finalize the unbeliever's condemnation and to destroy them forever from his presence. In other words, the posture of the true Christian is to wait for rescue and reward and the rest of the world is awaiting a coming judgment and a coming wrath. And we look forward to, as believers, the rapture where Christ will take them to himself and to a coming in which we will enter into the full expressions of his kingdom rule, while others have ahead of them only the stunning exposure of their own falsehood, sinfulness, and sin, and a sentence of final judgment. There are a couple other things I want to mention to you just briefly, and then we're going to press on into our lesson here. A couple of other things that Jesus and the apostles taught about his coming. One, first, they taught that there was going to be a gap of undefined period of time between Christ's ascension into heaven and his return for us into the earth. And so a number of the Lord Jesus' parables regard this idea. They intimate this idea that there's a gap or an interim that's going to take place. And he never defines exactly what that time is. As he was getting ready to ascend into heaven, his disciples asked him, Lord, is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And the Lord Jesus said, it's 
It's not for you to know. It's not even for I to know. But that's something that is in the Father's hands. And then the Lord gave them instructions on how they were to carry out their ministry and serve Him in that interim time. So there is an interim time that takes place. The other thing that the Lord Jesus and the apostles also taught about a second coming was this. It could be at any time. In fact, they taught that it could be during the time in which those they were writing to and those they were speaking to were living. So, though Jesus and the apostles acknowledged that there was this undefined period of time that would pass before Christ returned, they also affirmed that His return would come at any moment. And the word we use for that is that it's imminent. It's coming at any moment. And so, Philippians chapter 3, you might take your Bibles and turn there. Philippians chapter 3 expresses this. Paul, on different occasions, writes that we're to be eagerly waiting. It's a phrase he uses. We're to be eagerly waiting for the revelation of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is one of the occasions where we'll find that phrase or that reference. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, Paul writes, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I have to say to you, if Christ can't return at any time, it would seem to be kind of unfair to bait us with the idea that we should be eagerly waiting at any time. We're eagerly waiting. That's the posture we're to be fulfilling and carrying out, and that's the expectation they had. Thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest to you two websites you can visit. First, go to traincpe.org to learn about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. And to learn more about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.